Hello and welcome to Blue Mound Methodist Podcast. I'm Pastor Jacob Fields coming to you from Denton, Texas. We are so thankful that your faith journey has connected with this ministry and hope that you are blessed by the sermons, Bible studies, and faith stories you will find through this podcast. This is an episode from a sermon called Event Horizon. Let's pick up with our scripture reading before moving into our sermon. Standing for our gospel reading this morning, which comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but his disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in, because there were so many fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, He put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. For they were not going far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of the Holy Scripture. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks that you speak to us every day. You speak to us through the words of your holy scriptures, and you speak to us through the words of friends and through the stillness and silence. We ask for a word from you today, Lord, that our lives might be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It doesn't really help to set up your notes if you just knock it off uh, immediately. Uh, So today's sermon is called Event Horizon. Does does anybody already know the definition of Event Horizon? Any engineers? Okay, wonderful. All right. Uh, So I'm going to go ahead and tell you the main point uh, for today, and then I'm going to get into some things. So our main point for the day is on the slide. Uh, We live our lives on the brink of everything changing. Every day of our lives, John's shaking, he knows. Every day of our lives, we are on the brink of things changing significantly. And so... Uh, how do we deal with that? What does Scripture have to say about that? Where is the hope in that? 
Um, and so that's kind of why uh, both of our scripture passages today led me to the title uh, of Event Horizon. Now, the definition of an event horizon uh, is a region in the space-time continuum beyond which events cannot affect an outside observer. In layman's terms, is also in the definition, is defined as the shell of the point of no return. For example, is the boundary at which the gravitational pull of a massive object becomes so great that it's inescapable. Right? Uh, most typically, it's referenced in terms of black holes, but it's also what was used to slingshot Apollo 13 around the moon. Right? That riding that event horizon and slingshotting using the gravitational pull to, to accelerate the force. I hope you'll forgive me. I've been coughing lately. I don't feel sick at all. Don't worry about that. I just, I've been coughing. It's irritating more than anything. So it's mostly in reference to black holes. And there's been a significant event uh, in human history very recently, and that's the next slide. For the first time ever in human history, a black hole has been photographed. And this happened just last month. Has anybody seen this picture already? It's... This is a picture of a black hole. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, wait, a black hole, why is there light? I thought the black hole was darkness, and if you're taking a picture of the black hole, wouldn't it just be black? That's what I would have thought. But actually what we're seeing here is in the center is the black hole. Where the light is, is the event horizon. In fact, the name of the telescope uh, system that was able to capture this picture was called the Event Horizon Telescope. Uh, it's a planetary scale uh, with eight ground-based radio telescopes um, that are forged with international collaboration uh, to create just this very image. And, and why is this image significant? Because it, it captured tangible evidence of theoretical physics. There had been years and years and years of theoretical physics that had suggested that black holes exist and that they interact in a particular way. And if those theories were true, then this telescope that was set up for this particular purpose would be able to eventually capture something. It happened actually faster than some people thought. They were able to get this, and that, the picture is the light uh, caving in. It's almost making a waveform because the light is going over the event horizon and into the black hole. So, uh, what does that have to do with scripture at all? Back to the main point. We live our lives on the brink of everything changing. The event horizon is that brink where you either go into the black hole inescapably, or you escape the black hole. It's that point, that precipice, where everything can change. And in both of our stories, uh, that is absolutely what happens. Let's start with the book of Acts. I have another slide, just to show us where we're at. We're in the book of Acts right now, chapter nine. Um, this is Saul converting into Paul. Now, 
as I told the children, uh, the disciples probably didn't like Saul, as evidenced by when Jesus told Ananias, I need you to go pray with this man from Tarsus. He's like, um, wait a minute, did you, um, do you know what he's doing? As if Jesus didn't know what he was doing, right? It's just sometimes we hesitate because what, what we're asked to do is a little scary. It's like, hey, he's here to, to kill people like me. And you want me to go to him and not only just go to him and pray for him, but, but to invoke your name when he's sent to persecute people who invoke your name. Right? And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, that's what I want you to do. It occurs to me that in this story, neither Saul nor Ananias wanted to work together in this situation. Saul was on his way to kill people like Ananias. And Ananias was trying to escape people like Saul. But when God got into the mix, when God injected himself into the situation, something changed that could never be changed again, and it altered the entire course of human history. Without Saul's conversion to Paul, we wouldn't have most of the New Testament. Most of the New Testament was written by the God who Ananias didn't want to have anything to do with. It was written by the guy who persecuted the church. And so both of them were in this place where they were right on the edge of something significant happening, right on the edge of significant change in their life, and they didn't they didn't know about it. They didn't know how to handle it. And they were both a little unsure about it. But God intervened. God appeared to Saul, even as Saul was working against God. Have you ever felt like that? Like, like you just did something and then you're like, you know, God, I know you don't want me to do that. And then we, we have this blessed position to be able to interact with a God that knows us and loves us, even in the midst of, of our doing things that God wouldn't want. I, I sent a text message at a stoplight the other day. i got to confess. <laughs> like, we know, don't text and drive, right? And in fact, my own wife said... Uh, on, we were headed to lunch and then we are headed away from lunch so on the way to lunch she wanted me to look at a picture and I said I can't, I'm driving and then on the way home from lunch uh, she sees me send a text message at a stoplight and she says hypocrite <laughs> and that it stopped me it stopped me in, in a real way and I, I had to I had to pray Absolutely, God, I'm a hypocrite. I, I had to confess that I, you know, if I inject myself here into Ananias' shoes, I would have to confess, God, I don't want to do that. But still, you're asking me, and so the thing is that God's grace is so abundant for us that even when we're souls, even when we're hypocrites, even if we persecute the church, whether it be in, in real ways, metaphorical ways, whether it be in our own lives personally, or whether it be in our interactions with others, 
we can find ourselves in Saul's shoes. And the good news is that because we live always on the brink of significant change, God can reach us there. We are not outside of God's pull. Never are we outside of God's reach. And that's one of the beautiful things about living on that brink. Is that in any moment, God can choose to break into our lives and change everything. Yet, we don't always like that idea. I can elaborate on that for some time, but let's keep going. Our main point again, just so we remember it, is we live our lives on the brink of everything changing. Or as Lady Gaga would say, I'm on the edge of glory. That was, that was for the young people in the room. Yeah. Uh, but we are. We are on the edge. We are always on the edge. The way John Wesley would have put it, the way the prophet Isaiah put it, is salvation is at hand. We always have the opportunity to choose the right thing to do or choose the wrong, the wrong thing to do. Paul, Saul was on his way to do the wrong thing when God interrupted him. But it, it, he wasn't yet doing the right thing. God interrupted. He still needed Ananias to come and to do the right thing. And Ananias didn't want to do the right thing. It was scary. And it was painful. And Ananias did the right thing. And it ended up changing the world. So let's move to John now. You ever been just so down and out uh, that you just say to your buddies, let's go fishing? Now, I'm not a big fisherman, but I get the sentiment here. They've just watched Jesus be crucified. They've just uh, seen that the tomb was empty and they were afraid that somebody had taken the body Christ had kind of appeared, but kind of, there was still a little bit of doubt. And so at this point in John, Jesus literally finds the disciples exactly in the place where he found them three years prior. Now, you'll read in the scripture, and you'll see the Sea of Tiberias, and one of you might go, well, I don't know where the Sea of Tiberias is. It's the Sea of Galilee. I don't know why Scripture sometimes uses one word for something in one place and another word for something in another place, but the Sea of Tiberias and the Sea of Galilee are the same place. Okay? So, literally, they're on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, which is exactly where he called these particular disciples in the first place. And after all this ministry that Jesus did with them, he finds them in the exact same place, doing the exact same thing they were doing Originally. They're fishing. And the really odd part of the story, the funny part of the story, is that when they realize it's Jesus, Peter puts back on his clothes. Now normally I would think if you're going to jump into a lake, you would take your shirt off to jump into the lake, right? But no, he put a shirt on to jump into the lake. And that's just another interesting thing about this, and it shows the distress that they were in. They were grieving, they were mourning, they, were, they felt lost and like they didn't know what to do, and yet 
Jesus was calling them from the shore. And we know that after this, uh, Jesus uh, appoints Peter to be the rock of the church. And Jesus, uh, Jesus asked Peter, uh, if you love me, feed me. And he says, yes. And he said, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. Right after this, this is the precipice that changes the disciples from being ministered to, to doing ministry. From being ministered to, to doing ministry. This is the moment of change. The cross is also a moment of change. It's a significant one. But in terms of the way that the disciples behave and interact with the world, this is a significant moment in our story. And so we live in this place each and every day of our lives where we are right on the brink of significant change. Any one of us could have a major health event today. Now I hope that that doesn't take place. I really do. But it's possible. Any one of us uh, could, could have unexpectedly good news happen today in significant ways. Somebody might get a phone call about a, a career opportunity that's just far beyond what they could ask or imagine. Somebody might get a phone call about a, a, a contract opportunity. We are always on the edge of change. We can have a friend that's, that's been atheist their whole life all of a sudden say, you know, I actually believe this stuff. I'm going to start following you. Any one of us at any moment in time can see our lives change dramatically. You know, I like to say, you've probably heard me say before, that my faith story isn't one where I saw one day the clouds open up and then all of a sudden my life was different from that point forward. And I used to think that my faith was wrong because of not having that moment, but the reality is when I look at my faith life, it's a, it's a series of events that have me fall deeper in love with God. And that is true. It, it is a gradual slope. It is a perpetual wooing that God does in our lives. But, you know, I can also, uh, I can also admit that it is instances. It is moments that change everything. I remember I was at a CU at the pole in 10th grade, 11th grade, 10th grade, either way, doesn't matter. I was at a CU at the pole, and I was praying there with other students. And I had prayed with other Christians before I participated in FCA. I, I was a, a leader in my church youth group. I had prayed a lot of times, but my prayer life changed that day in a way that changed forever. And it, it, almost in a clouds parting way, but without clouds, it was a cloudy day, the sun wasn't quite up yet, it was seen with the poles, like 6.30 in the morning. But I heard other young people praying to God as though they expected something to happen from Him. And in that moment, my life was changed forever. I didn't go to see you at the pool that day expecting for my prayer life to be altered, improved, 
transformed. I didn't go there expecting anything for myself. I just thought, hey, you know, praying is the right thing to do. So I went. Maybe you've been there too. Maybe you, you thought uh, just going to church is the right thing to do. And you've gone to church and you've gone to church and you've gone to church and you've gone to church. And then one day God spoke to you clearly. And you're like, I wasn't quite expecting that. And it's, it's, it's this amazing transformation that I, I, I can't really put into words. How our lives can change significantly from one moment to the next. So what does that mean for us as a church? <clears throat> we, as a church, are on the brink. Just like we as individuals are on the brink. We are in a fragile and tenuous place. Denominationally and locally. We always have the opportunity to be drawn by certain things. And we also have the calling of God. And they're pulling in different directions. And we always, as individuals and as a collective, have the choice. And what my hope is for each and every one of you uh, and for myself is that God would show up in such a significant way that it alters the course of Blue Mountain history in a positive way so that others might come to know the God that knows them and loves them. Or as uh, the Methodist wedding liturgy says, so that the stranger you meet might find in you a generous friend. So that be witness to the love of God. So the stranger you meet find, might find in you a generous friend. So that you might reveal God's love to somebody else. Each and every one of us have that opportunity. What will we do with it? How will we respond when God taps on our shoulders and says, go to the ones who persecute, transform lives, or go to the persecuted? What about go to the, the ones that are not like us? What if, what if we started, now I'm not saying we're going to, I'm not saying we're going to, me. But what if we started a, uh, all of a sudden a Spanish-speaking service? Well, wouldn't I have to learn a new language? I wouldn't. I mean, it'd be cool, but I, I can't do that. God, what are you asking of me? Again, I'm not saying that we're doing that. But we, as a church, have to be open to what God might want to do in us and through us. And sometimes that might be comfortable, sometimes that might be fun, and sometimes that might call us into places we don't want to be. But the good news is that Christ already died for us. And he already rose in victory for us. And so all we have to do is trust in his example and trust in his victory over death. If we do, we might receive life. Amen.
Well, that's it for this episode of Blue Mound Methodist Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to reach out in any way, please send us an email at office at bluemoundumc.org. We'd love to hear from you. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I want to challenge you to share this blessing with others by investing and inviting. If you know someone who has been blessed by this message, invite them to listen directly or by sharing on social media. Or, you can make an investment in this digital ministry by going to bluemoundumc.org give to help expand the reach of the gospel message. God bless.